0: Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. Our Sunday services have now moved online and you can tune in every week for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon by going to christchurchlondon.org forward slash church at home. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly.
1: It's wonderful to be speaking to you today on Pentecost Sunday. Today is the day where we remember the birth of the church, where Jesus, having died, having risen again, having ascended into heaven, poured out his Holy Spirit, not as previously was the case, just upon a few individuals for particular purposes, but actually upon everyone who believed in him. And we've been thinking all the way through this term about some of the implications of this day, Pentecost. We've been preaching a series called The Spirit-Filled Life, considering what it means to be individual Individuals and a community that live experiencing the presence and power of God within us, motivating and empowering us. And today I want to bring that series to a close by looking at this passage in Acts chapter 4, which we just heard read. I'll give it a little bit of context to explain what's going on, and then I want to look in it at the particular prayer that the disciples prayed that led to them being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to conclude by praying that very same prayer for us, because we are just as much in need of a fresh move, a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit today, as the disciples were back then. So some context from the passage. Peter and John have been preaching the good news about Jesus. And as they've been doing that, they've been doing the same sorts of things that Jesus himself did. That is, they've proclaimed this message and they've demonstrated it through signs and wonders, in particular, healing the sick. And we're told in Acts 4.4 that many who heard their message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. On the day of Pentecost, we're told that 3000 people had become followers of Jesus. Now there's an extra 2000 and we don't know whether that's 5000 men uh, and there were women and children as well or whether it includes women and children. But either way, 5000 in under a year is pretty good going. I would take that. But the authorities don't really like what's going on. They feel threatened by it. And so they throw Peter and John into prison. And the next day, they're brought before the council and asked to explain themselves, in particular, how they did this healing, healing this, this man. And we're told that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and he spoke boldly and courageously about Jesus. The authorities were stunned and they threatened Peter and John. They told him not to preach any more, not to heal any more people. And yet it was so obvious to everyone that the power of God was with them, that really the authorities had no power and no choice but to release them. So Peter and John went back to the church who were at this point gathering and praying for them. And they come in and they tell them everything that has happened. And we read this, verse 24, when they, that is the church, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And we don't know whether the prayer that is recorded in Acts chapter four uh, was kind of a summary of all of their prayers together. Or if one person prayed it and everyone else kind of agreed with it or, or what. But what we do see is this. Together, they offer up this prayer, this collective cry for a new move of God. And in response, he fills them with the Holy Spirit, sending them out on mission. I wish I had time to look at the whole prayer. Uh, We don't have time, but I want to just focus in on verses 29 and 30. And in essence, there are two sides to the believer's prayer. They pray for their own work and they pray for God's work. They pray that God would empower his servants and then stretch out his hand. And I want to look at each of those in turn today. So the believers start by praying for themselves. They say this, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. The believers at this point are facing opposition. But what's striking to me is that they don't pray that God would deliver them from opposition or that he would defeat their enemies, which was the kind of prayer that often you hear recorded in the Old Testament, particularly in the Psalms. No, they don't pray against their enemies or the people who are opposing them at all. Rather, they pray for themselves. They don't pray that they will be removed from opposition. Rather, they pray for strength in the midst of opposition. I think that's really important because the gospel of Jesus teaches us that nobody is an enemy to be be defeated or to be removed. Every person that we meet, even those who, who stand in opposition to us and our message, are people in need of reconciliation to God. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities and powers, not on earth not people who stand in opposition to us but spiritual powers in the heavenly realms the battle we are in in proclaiming the good news of jesus is a spiritual battle and so every opposition is an opportunity every Person that we come against who opposes us is not an enemy, but is a person who is in need of reconciliation to God. And so we have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus in a way that turns enemies into brothers through the life changing power of his message. And the early church understood this. So when they prayed, they didn't pray against their enemies and they didn't pray for removal from opposition. Rather, they prayed for strength to courageously explain the message of Jesus to the very people who were opposing them. And I want you to notice who it is they pray for. They say, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Who is it that they're referring to when they talk about the servants? You see, it's Peter and John who have just been proclaiming the message. They were thrown in prison. They stood before the court. It could be easy to think that they're praying for their leaders. They're essentially praying, would Peter and John and others like them have the boldness they need when they find themselves in situations like he just, they just have? But I don't think that's what's going on at all. I don't think they're just praying for their leaders. I think they are praying for themselves. Now, that might seem like an obvious point, but I think it's important and worth making. Because it can be very easy for us when we hear stories like this about people experiencing the power of God and proclaiming the gospel and healing the sick, just to kind of assume that they are stories about something that might happen to another group of people, a sort of different tier of Christians, but really is not a message for us. It can be easy to assume that we are called to pray for our leaders, pray for pastors, pray for evangelists, pray for those who have the ministry of praying for the sick and pray for those people on the front lines of kind of Christian ministry, as it were. And as a pastor, I appreciate your prayers. But you know what? I am no different to you. I have exactly the same calling as you. The Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus commands to do the things that he had done. They apply just as much to you as they do to me. And the same power of the Holy Spirit that is available to me is available to you because we are all servants of God. So my question is, do you think of yourself like that? Or when you pray, when you encounter stories like this, when you think about the power of the Holy Spirit, you think about sharing the gospel or praying for the sick, are you ever tempted to think, well, this applies to other people, but not to me? No, the message of Pentecost is that the spirit is available to everyone precisely because we are all called to the same mission as servants of God. Every believer is a servant of God and we can see that through this passage because they pray Lord would you empower your servants and then who is it that gets filled with the spirit? It's not just Peter and John and and another couple of leaders, it says in verse 31 they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I love the fact that Acts 4 begins with a couple of leaders, Peter in particular, who is filled with the Spirit and speaks boldly uh, to great effect. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with just a few Spirit-filled leaders. Rather, by the end of the passage, you have a whole community that has been filled with the Spirit and goes out speaking boldly. Just think how much more difference a Spirit-filled community can make than just one or two people. We are all servants of God, and all of us get to experience the power of the Spirit. And all of us have that commission to take that message of Jesus, to take the power of the Spirit with us wherever we find ourselves. The book of Acts is sometimes referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. And the reason is because actually largely it does chart the work of the Apostles. In the first half, it's mainly Peter. In the second half, a lot of it is to do with Paul. But that title can give the misleading idea that really it's only apostles as sort of particular group of Christians who do all the work of proclaiming the message of Jesus, praying for their sick and so on. That is simply not true. All of us are servants of God, called and empowered for the very same mission. In Acts chapter eight, verse one, it says that persecution came upon the church and everyone was scattered except for the apostles. A couple of verses later, verse four, it says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. This group didn't include the apostles. They were left behind. Everyone preached the word. One of these guys was a guy called Philip, not one of the apostles. But as he preached and as he prayed, many people were healed. You see, neither preaching the gospel, nor declaring it through signs and wonders, praying for the sick, helping people to encounter the power of God, none of those things are just kept for a small tier of Christian leaders. No, all of us who follow Jesus are his servants, and all of us can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So my question is, do you see yourself like that? Do you see yourself as being called by God to extend his kingdom through proclaiming the good news about Jesus? and reaching out your hand to pray for the sick, to pray for God's power to break out. All of us are empowered in that way, or at least we can be. You see, the disciples cry out, Lord, would you empower your servants? At the end of the passage, all of them are filled with the spirit and all of them go out and share the good news about Jesus. That's what it means to be spirit-filled. We experience the power of God in us in a way that transforms us and sends us out on mission. I don't know what you think of when you hear that phrase, filled with the spirit. I can often picture it almost like a glass or a a jug or something or other, which is filled to the brim with this liquid, with water. And that's what it means to be filled, filled right to the top. But actually, I've come to think that that's not really the most helpful picture. That's quite a static image. Because when you fill a glass of water, it just sort of sits there. It doesn't move. It just stays full until it becomes empty again for whatever reason and needs to be refilled. I don't think that's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. Now, I think being filled with the Spirit is less like a cup being filled and more like the filling of sails on a ship. You see, when a cup is filled, it just sort of sits there until it becomes empty. When the sails of a ship are filled, the ship moves. There is momentum behind it. When we are filled with the Spirit, we're not just meant to enjoy it, sit back, have a great worship service. We are meant to move. We are meant to be motivated. We are meant to be pushed out and propelled out on mission. That's exactly what we see here in this passage. The believers pray, they are filled with the Spirit, and they go out proclaiming the word of God boldly. The first half of the prayer is to do with us. It's praying for our work and the resources we need for it. But the second half of the prayer shifts a little bit and starts actually praying about God, praying about his work. Verse 30, the believers pray this, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. See, the believers at this point are not praying for themselves and for the power that they need. They're actually praying for God to intervene, for God to do what only he can do to heal and to perform signs and wonders that demonstrate his power and draw people to himself. You know, I am called to go out and declare the message of Jesus. And there is plenty in the Gospels that tells me that I should do the same things that Jesus did. Healing the sick, helping people to encounter the living God. But you know what? I know that I can't do those things in my own strength. I do not have the power to heal the sick. I don't have the power to change hearts. If that's going to happen, we need God to stretch out his hand. So the disciples pray that God would do that. He would stretch out his hand in signs and wonders. And that language of the hand of God is quite a common theme that runs right the way through scripture. You see it again and again in the Old Testament. There are plenty of times which speak about people crying out for God's hand to be extended in in ways that result in miraculous deliverance or incredible miracles. Think of the story of Moses. Time and again in the book of Exodus, God promises that he is going to intervene and rescue his people from slavery. How? By extending his hand or his arm. There are plenty of times where he tells Moses that's what he is going to do. So when Peter and John and all the believers together, they cry out for God to stretch out his hand. That's what they're imagining. That's what they're asking for. They're asking for God to step in and to do something miraculous that will bring freedom and healing on a large scale. I think we need that. I, I long to see God move in power. I long to see people come to faith in their thousands. I long to see people healed in miraculous ways that causes sceptics to say, there is something going on here that I can't explain. It can only be the power of God. And when I read these stories in the book of Acts and and right through history at times where God has moved and brought about revival in our nation and the nations of the world, I long for that. I long for God to stretch out his hand and I pray for that. But what do you think it will look like when God does stretch out his hand? If you turn over the page from Acts chapter 4 to chapter 5, I think we see it. In Acts 5 verse 12, it says this, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Some translations just say by the apostles, but in the Greek it's clear it uses that that word hand. I think we're meant to see a link between these two passages. Think about it. The believers pray, God, would you stretch out your hand in miracles? But the miracles actually come when they stretch out their hands to pray for the sick. So whose hand is it that brings about the miracles? Is it the hand of the believers or is it the hand of God? I think it's both because they are both two sides of the very same coin. It should be impossible to tell where the hand of a spiritful believer ends and the hand of God begins. Why? Because the hand of God works through the hands of his servants. That's what it means to be empowered by the Spirit. We get to live as the hand of God, the way that people get to encounter God and receive freedom and healing from him. It's the same with Moses. You know, God promised again and again that he would stretch out his arm or his hand. But when it comes to it in the story, how does he do that? It's through the hand of Moses often holding this staff. As Moses raises his hands, the plagues fall. As Moses raises his hands, the waters part. And so the hand of God gets worked out through the hand of his servant, filled with his spirit. And it's not just Moses in the book of Acts. Right the way through scripture, I think you would be hard pushed to find any instance in which the spirit of God works other than through a human being. In fact, off the top of my head, I can think of one time that the spirit of God worked not through a human being. And it's where we started the series, Genesis 1, before a single human was created. From the moment of creation onwards, where God breathed his spirit, his Ruach, into human beings, from that moment onwards, the primary way that the Holy Spirit has acted is through human beings. Because the hand of God is worked through the hands of his servant. When we are filled with God's spirit, We become his means for reaching this world. A couple of years ago now, two summers ago, uh, I was in Richmond Park with my family and we were in this play park and uh, we were just having a nice time by ourselves. It was a Saturday morning, plenty of people around, but we weren't really interacting with anyone. And then I looked up and I saw this guy come into the park with his daughter and he caught my attention because he was just this big sort of burly guy. He looked pretty angry, pretty uh, like like he was having a difficult time. He was on crutches and he had this brace around his leg, which was the most sort of terrifying looking brace I'd ever seen it was like scaffolding around his leg I could tell there was something really really badly wrong with him and I just had this instant thought that went through my head I should go and pray for him and as soon as I thought it I thought oh no there is no way I am doing that and I kind of wondered if it was from God um, and so I, I prayed and I said Lord to be honest I don't feel like I've got faith to go and speak to that guy he doesn't look like he wants me to go and speak to him uh, and I just don't I don't have faith for it, so please do not make me go and do it. And yet I couldn't shake the thought, and so I said, okay, God, I'll do you a deal. The only way I will pray for that guy is if these two conditions are met. One, he comes and initiates a conversation with me, and two, he tells me what it is that is wrong with his leg. And I kind of thought, well, you know, two conditions, those are not going to happen. Uh, or oh, there's given me plenty of wiggle room. I've done the holy thing, I've prayed, I've given God a chance, nothing's going to happen. And so then we just carried on pray, sort of playing together. And I sort of tried to stay on the opposite side of the park to this guy. Um, and then about 15 minutes later, I was at the roundabout and I was pushing my daughter on the roundabout and I heard this voice behind me and immediately I knew, oh gosh, it's him. (laughs) And I turned around and this guy said, "Uh, I'm sorry to bother you, but I wonder if I could ask a favour. Would you mind pushing my daughter on the roundabout? I would love to do it, uh, but I recently ruptured my anterior cruciate ligament and I'm in a huge amount of pain and I'm not able to do it. And I was like, oh, you set me up (laughs) I was so annoyed the two conditions that I set out were both met and uh, so I I agreed and I decided to push this girl and my daughter on the roundabout and as we were doing it the guy just was telling me all about the pain in his leg just to really hammer it home that this was an appointment from God and so he told me that he had injured himself whilst playing rugby and they were due to go on holiday the next week but he was waiting for um, test results back from his doctor to say whether he'd be able to fly or not and they were really disappointed and all the while I was hearing this I thought I've just got to pray for him. So eventually I kind of summed up the courage and I said to him look this may sound incredibly weird um, but I'm a Christian and I believe that God is powerful and he loves to answer prayer and I've prayed for some people and I've seen them healed. Uh, Would you be happy for me to pray for you? And after a sort of awkward pause, he said yes, although everything about his body language said no. <laughs> uh, and, and so I just felt awkward, but I decided to pray for him. And so I closed my eyes and I prayed. And it was the most awkward prayer I've ever prayed and I couldn't wait for it to be over I just felt really odd about the whole thing and as soon as I said amen like I quickly snatched my daughter off the roundabout said goodbye and just ran off I didn't do any of those things that I would normally do at the end of praying for someone I didn't ask him how he felt I didn't ask him if his leg was better I didn't take any contact details to follow up all the stuff I would normally do I just felt so awkward I felt so fearful and so I got out of there And when I got home a bit later, I just was reflecting on it and feeling really strange. And so I decided to spend some time praying. And as I was praying, it dawned on me that I so often cry out for God to stretch out his hand. I'm so often reluctant to stretch out my own. But truly, what does it look like for the hand of God to move if it's not through our hands? How was I going to expect God to heal that person unless I was willing to go and pray for him? How can we expect people to respond to the gospel unless we are willing to share it with them? No, what it means to be a spirit-filled follower of Jesus is that we trust that we are the means through which God intends to reach this world. And we can't cry out, God, would you stretch out your hand in signs and wonders if we are not willing to stretch out our hands with an offer of prayer. The hand of God works through the hands of his servants. If we want to see God move in power, we need to pray for it. But we also need to be willing to step out in faith. There's a famous saying, uh, I don't know who said it first. Some people attribute it to St Augustine of Hippo, others to St Ignatius of Loyola. Uh, I don't know who said it first. I couldn't figure it out. So we'll say St Ignatius of Hippola. I I don't know. Uh, But the, the saying is this, pray as though everything depended on God. Act as though everything depended on you. I think there's something to that and i think we see both of those things here in acts chapter 4. very often when we pray for revival we can imagine that it either rests on us or it rests on god i think it's actually a mixture of the two and we need to pray as if it rests on god but act as if it rested on us if we only think it rests on us then we will put a lot of work and a lot of effort into speaking out the gospel and caring for people and probably doing some great things. But if we do it in our own strength, the results will be limited. But the flip side is also true. Too often it can be tempting just to pray for God to move in power, for him to stretch out his hand, all the while actually abdicating to him responsibility for things he has called us to do. No, what it means, I think, to live in the light of Pentecost is to believe that God has empowered us so that he can work through us. He has put his spirit and his power into us so that our hands can become the vessel for his hand. And as we cry out for him to move in power, we also need to take responsibility for doing the things he has asked us to do. Sharing the good news of Jesus, praying for the sick, taking steps of faith, trusting that as we do that, he can work through us. So the church prays these two halves of a prayer and as they do god responds and he responds by pouring out his spirit upon them it says this in verse 31 after they prayed the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the holy spirit and spoke the word of god boldly isn't that what we need i know it's what i need boldness courage power So often I feel like I lack those things, and yet Scripture tells me they are readily available through the Holy Spirit who is given to all. We need to ask to be filled again. And so in a moment, I am simply going to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to fill us. And I believe that as I pray that, he will answer that prayer. He will fill us afresh. And for some people, experiencing the spirit will be a dramatic thing, kind of like in Acts chapter 4, the building shaking or you shaking. Some people experience the spirit like that. For others, it's way more gentle. I don't mind what your experience is, but I think that when we experience the spirit, when we're filled by him, something always changes. The great theologian Karl Barth put it like this, there can be no abstract receiving and possessing of the Holy Spirit. You you read through the New Testament and no one sort of goes, well, I get that in theory I've, I've, I've been filled with the Spirit, but it doesn't make a lot of difference. No, whenever you are filled with the Spirit, something changes. It could just be a deeper sense of peace than you've had before. It could be courage to share your faith. It could be a deepening of character or a deepened commitment to worship and prayer. Sometimes you hear God, sometimes you experience something physically or, or faith rises or you find this prayer that just, just bubbles up out of you. Whatever it happens to be, I believe that as we pray, fill us, Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. He will answer. He will change us. So I would love to pray for us right now. And my suggestion is this. Why don't you just hold out your hands wherever you are? There's nothing particularly special or mystical about this, but it's just a way of demonstrating with our bodies that we are ready to receive from God and that we are dedicating our hands to be his hands, as it were. Saying that we want God to use us, our very being, so that we can be a blessing to the world around us. Why don't you hold out your hands? You may find it helpful to close your eyes. I'm going to pray for us before we worship. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord God, I read these stories of you moving in power. In the Bible, in history, in our nation, in the nations of the world, I read these stories of people being healed, of people coming to faith in their thousands, and I am jealous for them. I'm not content with them being stories that we just relegate to the past i want to see them in our day in our nation and i want to see you stretch out your hand through our hands and so i and and i pray this on behalf of everyone watching today we dedicate our hands to you we say would you stretch out your hand in signs and wonders through us would you empower us your servants to speak your world boldly And would you accompany our declaration of your your word with signs and wonders, with power? Come, Holy Spirit. Just going to give a moment for you to wait, maybe to express your own longings to God. or Maybe just listen to him. Take note of anything he may be doing right now. Maybe you feel something changing in your temperament, in your faith, in your spirit, in that strange kind of way that is hard to articulate, but you just know something's different. Come Holy Spirit. We long for more of your presence. We need your power. Would you fill us again like wind in sails? And would you propel us out with boldness and power to share your good news with this hurting city and this hurting world? In Jesus' name.
0: Amen. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to Christchurchlondon.org.